0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. We have a pastor's training college called New Geneva Academy here in our church. We've had it here for a number of years. Pastor Stephen Baker, one of your pastors, has been um, at the main teaching leader of that Uh, training course. I was trained in it. Some of the men that we prayed for at Church of the King in Evansville were trained in New Geneva Academy. Um, Others that we've sent around to plant churches have been trained. Um, It's a wonderful program and we're very blessed to be a part of it and also to have students from time to time who are in residence here. We have A number of students that participate in the program around the country and other churches. But we have three students presently in residence here. And you've been feeling their leadership um, week to week as they read scripture and do announcements. Daniel Coughlin did announcements this morning. And uh, Sion Han, you've heard him read scripture in preparation for the sermon. And Daniel Froman as well. We also look for opportunities for them to exercise their gifts of preaching And recently, we lost an opportunity to do that. We had a Maundy Thursday service planned, and Daniel Froman was going to preach to us from John 13. And a tree fell on the power lines, and other things happened down the line, and it put the power out all night, or almost all night. And so Daniel was walking up to the church, and we said, sorry, we canceled the service. And I've heard from a couple of you, at least, that you were sad about that, and you were hoping that we'd create an opportunity to get that sermon in. We're creating that opportunity this morning. I, yeah, we're excited, Daniel. I ran into Daniel yesterday morning. We had a good conversation. And um, I asked him, tell me what that sermon was going to be about. Give me a synopsis. And he, he, he said, he explained to me uh, what it was, what he had prepared to say. And I thought, man, I want to hear that. And I think the church will be blessed to hear that. So this morning we're going to have Daniel, our brother, come and preach to us. I'm going to pray for him as he prepares. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Daniel. And we pray that you now would strengthen him. And that you'd bless him and us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help him to uh, be led by your spirit as he leads us through this wonderful passage from your word, John 13 that you'd open it up to us and convict us of our sins and help us to love Jesus more fully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. What a sweet encouragement to have you guys clapping for me. Wow. Well, I certainly need the Holy Spirit this morning, um, Father. Would the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts here be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Rock and our Redeemer? Amen. So, yes, as Pastor Jody said, um, I thought that was God's providence that I wasn't going to preach at um, on Monday Thursday. Maybe there was something heretical I was going to say. Um, I didn't update the sermon. So, uh, But it passed inspection earlier this morning. So um, I'm going to deliver it to you all. It's good to see old faces, new faces, faces back. So the text I'm going to be preaching on is the time where Jesus is in the upper room having the Passover with his disciples, the Last Supper. And it's the time where Jesus gives the famous command To love one another as he has loved us. And it's also when he gives the famous example of his love to us by getting down and washing his disciples' feet, a humbling act for the Lord of Lords and kings of kings. And Jesus commands us to do that. He says, As I've loved you and as I've served you, so you're to do to your brothers. And he says, If you do this, you're blessed. So that's what we're going to open up this morning, and and, um, I pray that it'll be a blessing to you all. We're going to be reading from John 13, verse 1 through 17. This is God's word, and it's eternally true. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not now realize, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me, no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Oh, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, "He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean." But not all of you, for he knew that one who was for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, "Not all of you are clean." And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, You're blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. So in God's economy, there's no such thing as a coincidence. And what we see for some context into this evening is it's the disciples celebrating the Passover. So what's the Passover? The Passover was a holiday that God commanded the Jews to celebrate, commanded in the Old Testament, every year, remember God's deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. It was a joyous occasion. I grew up celebrating Passover, and it's so wonderful to recollect all of the mighty things God did at that time. Up until the time of Jesus coming, this was the most mighty working of the Lord that the world had ever seen. In Egypt, God brought 10 plagues and powers and signs on the Egyptians. Kids, do you remember any of the signs that God did in Egypt? Anyone? What do you, what do you say? Nat, flies and gnats. That's a good one. What's another one? Yeah. Frogs. That's a good one. Edmund. Sores, yeah, boils and sores. Yes, back there. Locusts, very good. What's that? Darkness, that's a good one. All right, Ezra. Okay, that's the biggest one. He said the angel of death. So God said, "That's, that's enough, guys. That's the biggest one. That's what I wanted. In God's mighty power, he slew the firstborn son of every single Egyptian family. But he spared the firstborn sons of the Israelites. The Israelites were able to flee out of Egypt, out of slavery. God, in his might, parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites ran through. And as they were walking through, the Egyptian army came, and they went down into the depth of the sea. And as the Israelites went out, God caused the water to collapse on the, Israel, the Egyptian army, and killed every single Egyptian soldier. That's the Passover. The Passover is looking forward to God giving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, giving the law to the people, calling the people, promising them the holy land, looking forward to the land of milk and honey. When the Canaanites in the land of Israel heard about what God did in that time, they shook with fear at the awesome power of our God. And so for the Jews in the time of Jesus, this was was it. This was, we're going to celebrate the awesome might of our God. And so as I said, it's no coincidence that it was at that day on that Passover that Jesus decided that he would free his people from spiritual slavery much greater than the slavery they had in Egypt. That's the context. And it says that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And in his sovereignty, he knew that he was going to be put to death next day. And so, what you'd expect and what we find is that in a man's final hours, he gives the message that is closest to his heart for the people. When a father, a patriarch is dying, he calls his sons around them and blesses each one of them and gives them his inheritance. When an officer on the battlefield is wounded and is dying, he may call his next in command, and he gives him the orders of what to do to carry out the mission and be successful. And I was thinking about Pastor Bailey at his last sermon. He gives, after a culmination of 30-some years in the ministry, the message closest to his heart for us that's going to do us the most good. And so what we see is that that's what we're expecting here from Jesus at the Last Supper. He's, he knows he's going to die. This is his chance to give the biggest message. And so there's two messages really that he gives. The first one we're not going to talk about. That's the institution of the Lord's Supper. And That's extremely important. But the one we are going to talk about is this, that he commands his disciples to love one another as he has loved us. And he demonstrates that through the example of getting down, girding himself up, and washing the dirty feet of his dirty disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not have chosen to give that as my final marching orders, my final mission statement before I died. I was thinking if I was to give my final marching orders, it would have been, We're going to take down the Pharisees. You avenge my death. We're going to topple the wickedness of this nation. That's not what he did. I might have said, we're going to to infiltrate Roman politics and we're going to win the hearts and minds of the people. He didn't say that. He chose his final marching orders to be self-sacrificially love one another as I have self-sacrificially loved you. Counterintuitive, but that is the kingdom message of the Christian life. You don't have to be the president, you don't have to be a CEO, you don't have to be a famous musician. If you wash the feet of the men and women sitting next to you, You're building the kingdom of God. So, a little bit about foot washing. Kids, how many of you, when you go to your friend's house, uh, their mom or dad says, hey, would you like to wash your feet? I was thinking maybe if you were playing in the mud outside, she was going to grab you and wash your feet for you. But, But in the Middle East, at that time, where it was hot, it was sandy, it was dusty, and... You didn't just get out of your Tesla at your friend's house. You had to walk for miles, and your feet were hot and tired. It was a gracious thing, a loving thing, when a guest came to your house to offer him water for his feet. Hey, wash your feet. It'll make you feel better. You can prop your feet up on the little sofa. And so that was common, and we see that in the Old Testament. Abraham provides water for the angel of the Lord that came to visit Lot did too. Laban did. And then even in the time of Jesus, we see that that was still the practice. There was an instance where Jesus was eating with a Pharisee at the Pharisee's home. And then a sinner woman came. And she started washing Jesus' feet with her hair and with oil and her tears. Can you imagine that scene? And then the Pharisee is sitting there and he's like, Ugh. It's like, Jesus, are you going to let this sinner do that to your feet? (laughs) And Jesus says, you didn't even give me water for my feet. This is your house. You didn't even extend the courtesy. And this woman has gone out of her way to love me. So that's a little bit about foot washing. And so Jesus washes their feet. And this is not just a normal foot washing. And see that for a couple reasons. The first is it wasn't Jesus' house. So what I want to show you is that Jesus even went above and beyond, which is just what he does. It wasn't his house, yet he takes it upon himself to make sure the disciples have their feet washed. Two, he doesn't just give them water. The standard practice was you say, hey, here's some water, wash your feet. He actually gets down on his knees. Ugh, I'm about 32 like Jesus and <clears throat> washes their feet. He doesn't just wash their feet, but he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he still condescends to do that. Shouldn't it be that the servant tends for the Lord? Or that the student brings the apple to the teacher? But Jesus brought the apple to his students. And finally, Jesus was going to do the greatest work in the history of mankind the next day. He knew what was going to happen, and he was planning to die. And he was going to take on, he was going to be reviled, he was going to be falsely convicted, he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be um, given up, uh, denied by Peter. And all of the sins of all of us, past, present, future, were going to be laid on him. That man deserves a beer. But knowing that, you know, There should have been a disciple massaging his shoulders that night, but there wasn't. He says he loved them all the way up to the end. Jesus never stops serving. And that's so contrary to you and me, because when I mow the lawn for my mom, I expect her to give me a glass of cold water and maybe make me dinner, right? When we do a little good thing, we expect praise, we expect lauding, we expect pampering, I imagine husbands, if you come home from a day at work, you expect your wife to wait on you. I've been working all day, making money for the family, and I come home and it's like, what? I can't even get a glass of water and, you know, or a wife. It's like, you know, i have taken care of the kids all day, and you come home, and I can't get a little bit of, you know, uh, help with this. The fact is, we do any little thing, and we expect that we deserve great recognition and reward. But that's not what Jesus did. So, that's foot washing. That's Jesus. But as I've said before, foot washing is not just the physical act of washing each other's feet. Otherwise, I shouldn't be up here. I should just get down and we'll start washing each other's feet. Right? Kids, do you understand that foot washing means more than foot washing? Foot washing means serving and loving our brothers. That's why Jesus a little bit later says, the new commandment I give you to love one another as I've loved you. And so what we see is that Jesus has washed our feet in so many ways. So let's start, let's think about those. Forgiven us our sins. Anyone? Can I get an amen? Amen. All of them. All the nasty sins he's washed clean. The sins that you could never wash on your own, though you tried. And not only did he forgive you, but has he left you in your sin? No? No? He allows us by his Holy Spirit to grow in sanctification, to continue to wash and be cleansed. He hasn't forced us to do this on our own, but he's given us brothers, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives. He hasn't just given us spiritual blessings, but he's given us physical blessings, houses, cars, food, jobs. He listens to us when we call He's tender. He's patient. As we continue to sin, he bears with us. For three years, Jesus had his earthly ministry. No rich people ever invited him into their home to sleep on a nice, comfortable bed. His disciples didn't even remember that he was the Messiah. And at every turn, he was stoned, chased, hated, derided, and he kept on serving. This is how he's washed our feet. And so then Jesus says, I'm the teacher, I'm the Lord, you've called me that. If I'm the teacher and I'm your Lord, and I hope he's your teacher and he's your Lord, he says, you need to do as I've done. So what we see is that if Jesus has cleaned you, and I hope that he's cleaned you, if he's your Lord, if he's your teacher, put on your suit, gird up your towel, get down on your knees, and get ready to wash some feet. Because that's the privilege and the duty and the calling of a Christian. Philippians 2 talks about this and has a perfect explanation. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself into a slave. And so, here it says that we're supposed to have this attitude in ourselves. I'm not excited to be a slave. I don't think you're excited to be a slave. But yet, that's in our flesh. The Spirit testifies in us, yeah, buddy, that's my Lord, that's my teacher. He did that. I want to do that. And we get excited by by God's mercy and the Holy Spirit. I don't think that that's what most of us thought when we came to this church I'm coming to be a slave. I didn't think that when I stumbled into this church, but that is the calling of a Christian. So I thought about a number of ways that we can love one another. These are just a few. We need to be humble. Jesus humbled himself, came down from the throne room where the angels sing his praise nonstop. He put on decaying flesh. And as I've said before, he had this whole ministry of suffering all the way up to the end. Pastor Lucas has told me, and I think this is true, the question in the Christian life is how low can you go? That doesn't mean how low morally can you stoop. And what it means is how, how low can you humble yourself for your brother? Take in mind, you actually have to lower yourself to wash someone's feet. you got to get down. And it's funny because in my life, Calvin said that man's heart is a factory of idols. I found that it's also this factory that finds ways to be better than everyone I meet. Whenever I meet a man, my, my mental energy goes to thinking, how am I better than him? And then once I've figured out just how I'm better than that man, I can put my feet up and relax. <laughs> but that's not the Christian way, and it's just funny, because um, maybe I'm smarter than the man. And it could just as well be, I'm less smart than that man, and therefore more practical. I could be richer than that man, or I could be poorer and therefore, you know, misunderstood and, you know, have a hard. I could be funnier than the man, or more serious than that man. <laughs> you know, I could be, you know, better at studies, or more just taking it easy, and, you know, that's just how I am cool. Um, it's just crazy. But that's how we are. Or at least me. So... And so for you who struggle with that, like me, the, the thing is, at the point where you think you're better than someone, if you've reached that mental rest, that's actually the time to dive into service. Because Jesus was funnier than me, he was smarter than me, he's richer than me, richer than you, and yet he chose to humble himself and wash your feet. So when you think you're better or if you don't think you're better, regardless, that's the time But especially when you think you're better than someone, even if you know for 100% fact that you're better than that man in a certain way, let that be your opportunity to serve him. And that's how you know you're blessed. Second way we can wash each other's feet, and this is very practical and we're very good at it here, is to open our homes and our time and our families to people. This is something very sweet about our church that you have loved me in this way. You've washed my feet by making me feel a part of your families. And um, uh, two of the families i thought about were the Congroves who would just a couple times a year invite me and some other singles over to watch a movie in their marvelous home theater den. To, have, to sit with their kids. Josh would offer me one of his pops. He's got a great selection. Uh, and just that consistent love over time has meant the world to me. And the Cortises, they came here and a year after they came, I had graduated law school and was, had taken the bar exam and wasn't sure if I'd passed, but they said, we want to throw a passing the bar party for you. And Renee told me that she also got a cake that said, sorry, better try next time, better luck, in case I failed. (laughs) But regardless, I was thinking, these these people don't know me very well. They're they're new here, and yet they opened their home. And they wanted to throw a party for me, and that was something. So thank you. Mm. And I guess that's what we do uh, even at small group. When families open up their homes, that's, that's this. Number three, this is interesting. It's conf- you wash your brother's feet by confessing your own sins. But we'll start with the fact that it's good to confess your own sins because you've got to wash your own feet too. The point of life is sanctification. But the other thing it does to other people is that one, when you're real about your struggles, I'm struggling with my marriage. I'm struggling at work. I'm just a jerk and I can't figure out how to get better. If you can open up your sins to people, it makes you more approachable. And people say, you know, I think I could be friends with that man. You know what, he seems real. He seems vulnerable and like he cares for me. And so when we do that, we open up relationships. And we're supposed to be growing together here. The second thing it does is it encourages the other man to confess his sins. So take off the social media mask, the Instagram mask. You're not fooling anyone if you're trying to put on this perfect image. So for kids, high schoolers, teenagers, you don't got to be perfect. If you think we're perfect, we're not. It's okay to sin. It's not okay to sin, but we do sin. And what we do is we confess it. And we're not expected to be perfect, but we are expected to be repenting and being honest. And so, don't do your brothers the disservice of trying to cover up your own sins. But be real about them. And that's going to encourage him and help him in his path. That said, don't be dramatic and bringing out your dirty laundry just to get attention. (laughs) Okay, number four. In love, point out where your brother is missing the dirt on his feet. This is a little bit tricky. Are you following me? Point out the dirt on your brother's feet. The purpose of the Christian life is to grow in holiness. And so we want to we be clean, but we can't clean if we don't know that we done got dirt. And it's so funny because if someone tells me about the dirt on my feet, I get angry. How dare you say that my feet are dirty? As I'm walking around with like cockroaches coming out of my feet. You know, it's loving. So thank your brother if he does that. And now, why I was nervous about saying that is you don't always tell your brother about the dirt in his feet. Sometimes you're doing it out of judgment to say, look how good I am and clean I am. Nope. And then sometimes your brother is just so worn out from washing his feet and from the Christian life and from repenting of sin that he just can't bear something more. So you have to know the difference. Sometimes it's not right, sometimes it is. But know that when we're faithful to call out our brother's sins in love, that grows fellowship and that helps us serve them. Another one, I was talking with um, Gabby Miller after the first service, and one of the things I wanted to say in the first service was, As a father, and especially as a mother, you are washing the feet and other parts of your children. So God bless you, mothers especially, for your self-sacrificial service. And finally, perhaps the biggest one in my books is forgive one another. Living in close fellowship, we're going to be sinning against our brothers all the time. And sometimes I, you're actually sinned against, and other times you're not, and it's your sin that's making you think you're sinned against. Sometimes you look around, and I'm thinking about this, it's, you know, we get resentful of the successes of others. Why is his job so good and he makes $20,000 more than me? Why is his house better than mine? Why does he have more friends than me? Why are all my friends getting married and I'm not married? There's an unending amount of grudges we can have in this church. But if we can have grudges, then Jesus could have grudges. I came down from heaven for these guys. I gave them the words of truth. For three years, I lived with these guys, and they keep on forgetting that I'm the Messiah. They know I'm going to, I told them I'm going to die and be raised again in three days, and they don't seem to have any sort of thanksgiving. My own disciple Peter is going to deny me? I have to do everything for these guys. Does that sound like the Jesus you know? Oh, so then try that on yourself. Does it sound good when you say that? No. So, I'm going to read from Matthew 18. This is the parable of the king and the two servants. Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king, who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had in repayment to be made. The slave therefore fell down, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, "'Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything.'" And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's much less. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. He was unwilling, however and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I've had mercy on you? And his lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. We've been forgiven 10,000 talents. And so these little balances that are owed by your brothers, let them go. Let them go. Bitterness kills joy and it kills love. If Jesus' marching orders is love and self-sacrifice, bitterness has no place there. And quite frankly, we all know this, but so just keep on remembering this parable and let that wash it away because in gratitude it's like, who cares when you remember what Jesus has done for you? Now, I'd be remiss not to talk about something that's clear from Scripture here which is that as Jesus is saying this, he says, you're clean, some of you, but not all. And he said that because of Judas Iscariot who was there. One of the disciples with Jesus for three years prayed with him, ate with him, probably did miracles in his name, and yet was a hypocrite and a liar and greedy and sold his Lord for a small sum of money. There was a woman in my family who dated a man who turned out to be a Judas. He ate with us at the Passover and then she found out that he was cheating on her. He looked fine, looked normal. Smiled, nice. But he was found out in his wickedness. And it doesn't end well for Judases. So if that rings in your empty heart, let this be a call to turn in repentance to the Lord because he does forgive if you turn to him. But for those who are clean, who have been called, who have been washed, let's gird up our loins, tie up our towel, get down on our knees and be ready to serve and wash our brother's feet. There's all sorts of ways to do it and I trust that you can find many ways to take delight and to be a delight in this command. Daniel Coglin's family has a saying, before they eat, he was trying to get the kids to remember to pray before they ate, so they for some reason now say, pray then eat wash the feet. The kids like it. It rhymes. Pray, then eat, wash the feet. And So I think that that's a pretty good standard for us. We pray. We have communion with the Lord. We eat the bread of fellowship. And we dedicate ourselves to washing our brother's feet. Let's pray. Holy Heavenly Father, we come before you in fear and trembling. We think of how Jesus has loved us, how he loved his disciples, how he didn't stop humbling himself, that he thought it was good to become a slave for service to you and for service to us. We recognize that Jesus has called us to likewise become a slave and a servant to our brothers. And we ask that in light of all that you've done, in light of your forgiveness and your ongoing mercies, with us that you'd strengthen us for this task and that we'd take it upon ourselves to do this with joy and with pride standing up and knowing that we're sons of the most high that we've been called and that we get to in this way be more like Jesus so humble us and help us to do this trusting that this is how you build your kingdom and oh we do look forward to seeing your face please do come soon Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.